Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bachar banu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et torato, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten ha-Torah, Amen. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Welcome to the Re'egt, the Geula talk, the bring the redemption now. Uh, may Hashem really cause us to see the return of Mashiach Yeshua, the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash on Har Habayit, on his holy mountain, the uh, the mountain of the house, like Har Habayit, the house, the, the house of the mountain, which is really interesting because the Temple Mount, where the temple will be built, uh, as you may have already heard, is not where the Dome of the Rock is. What a way to start, right? Why are we talking about the temple in this parasha, Re'e? Well, there's lots of temple talk in Re'e. But uh, what is happening is that uh, there will be a little topographical rearrangement of the land uh, going on. And so... Uh, not to say that the Temple Mount, where the Western Wall is currently, not is not, you know, where it should be. But there's going to be some adjustments that happen. So it's not just going to be like we, you know, move one building over here and then put the temple where it needs to be. There's going to be some some interesting things that happen, needless to say. So uh, the temple, where the temple is supposed to be built is uh, called Mount Moriah, which is what the Temple Mount is actually called. But my point in bringing all this up is to say Har Moriah is Mount Moriah, and it is the mountain of teaching, because more means to teach. So literally, the place where the temple is to be seated is on the mountain where we'll find the teacher. So knowing that the holiest ground in Jewish in mind and the mind of a Jew is the place of Azotic, like where Azotic is buried. Hence why there's all sorts of mean hog customs, practiced traditions handed down, not mitzvot or halakha, but uh, mean hagim, which is the plural of mean hog, that say, you want your prayers really answered, go to the grave of Azotic. If it's a turned up holiday, like, I don't know, Rosh Hashanah or something, go to the grave of Azotic. And higher than that, obviously, is the temple, namely Har Hamoriah. So, uh, you know, that begs the question, okay, so that's the scene of the Akedah, that's the scene of the creation of man, that's the scene of the ashes of Isaac, and that is the scene of where Mashiach was crucified. So the Zadok died, but not really. And though he died, he lives, he's resurrected. And it's directly opposite of Har Hazaitim or Zaitim, which is the Mount of Olives. And that's where the red heifer's ashes are burned. And the red heifer mixture is prepared. So the Mount of Atonement is what that would be. So you have the Atonement place and the Purification place directly across from the place where the sacrifice actually took place, where the heaven and the earth connect. 
So, you know, that's what we're really looking at when we're talking about the final Geula, the final redemption. So when we're saying Baruch HaBashem Adonai, you know, Mashiach says that in, in the writings of Matit Yahu and Matthew that you won't see my face again until you say that. So, like, we should be saying that with, like, all of our might because we should really want to see him because we should. And it's time. If we wait any longer, we're just hurting ourselves. So let's just get it done. Not just to get it done, but because you talk about world changing, you know, world rocking. Man, creation will no longer have to groan. So all these earthquakes and hurricanes and volcanic activity, like that's going to be done. It's going to be like, whew, finally, finally, the ground is no longer cursed because of man. Finally, there's no more pain and childbearing, like that kind of stuff. So we should be excited about that. And what I think is interesting is Parsha Ray A all has to do with sight, but it's really sight by hearing. And, you know, go back to the writings of Shaul to the congregation in Rome that he says, how will they hear and how will they believe if no one's speaking it and talking about it? Same thing for us. If we're not telling people that we're in exile, if we're not letting people know, why does reality have such a weight to it as far as we have so many challenges? We don't have a temple. We're missing open manifestation of Hashem's glory in the world. Uh, you know, we got to start talking about that so that people can like see it and hear it and know it and be like, okay, so now that we know there's a problem, let's start fixing things. So, yeah. So with that being said, you know, this is Parsha A. So it's time for us to see and it's time for us to want to see. So I pray that we do. And what a beautiful time that this is all happening because we're between Tuba Av and Rosh Hashanah and specifically Yom Kippur because Tuba Av, which is the 15th of Av, and Yom Kippur are pretty much related. We wear white both of those days, you know, and there's great rejoicing on both of those days. And it's all about resurrection and renewal on both of those days. And obviously uh, on Yom Kippur, we fast and on Tuba Av, we feast. So that's interesting. But both days are seen as beautiful weddings between the Jews and Hashem. And I just want to go ahead and let you know, uh, my goal with the help of Hashem is to do this Re'e GT and future GTs uh, broken out. So I will do an intro where I will try. I don't I don't even know why I'm saying this, but I'm just going to say it because I should. I'm going to try to keep my intro at about 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> I'm already at seven. Anyway. So uh, just to kind of introduce the tour portion and then I want to break it out into subject matters because I realize having a two hour podcast is kind of pointless if you don't really know exactly at what point in the podcast is certain things happening and to timestamp that all out would be, you know, and then the other thing would be, well, you know, what did you actually talk about? When did we talk about it and what podcast was what? So I'm going to, with the help of Hashem, do a better job labeling things. And just so you know, uh, just some things that have happened this week is that, uh, you know, I've really 
gone for a higher push with the music. So, um, I am a Lapid Jew who raps, not a Lapid Jewish rapper, if that makes sense. But yeah, so semantically, I guess is kind of, why are you even saying this? But I'm saying that because me operating in the lane and what I'm supposed to be doing has actually opened so many doors in my worlds, literally worlds, like my thoughts, my speech, my deeds, my prayers, my studying, my uh, sharing back and forth on insights and things that are just happening. Uh, and so I just want to encourage everyone with that, that the more you do what Hashem has created you to be here to do, you're first of all, you're going to have to break outside of your natural bounds and limitations in order to do it, because I feel very uncomfortable with some of the steps I've had to take to get here. But I've done it and I've done it, you know, as best I could. And um, there's beginning to be a lot of good feedback. So not that good feedback is the uh, affirmation, but it does definitely help. But, you know, uh, you got to break outside your limitations and you got to do it. You got to do it exactly how Hashem has put it on your heart with so much passion. And when you do that, that's another level of bringing in the final redemption because that's really what we need to do. And uh, number two, get yourself a two word, you know, summarization of your existence. Uh, use a ing word and then uh, like an action point, you know, a noun kind of thing. So for me, mine's is hashtag bringing redemption or bringing geula. So something like that. So like, what are you, what are you doing? Are you singing praises or, you know, are you reading life or something like that? I don't know. Uh, you only, you know, because that's what you're here for. And again, that's chapter 14, by the way, in this week's Torah portion where it talks about being children of God. So this is the intro. So I uh, want to just lead out and encourage everyone in order for the world to Ray A. Uh, Rabbi Griffin brought this down in the Aliyah day uh, yesterday, which according to this podcast was Yom. It was uh, today is fourth day. So yesterday was third day. So the third Aliyah, he talked about having a vision of seeing suddenly like we need to pray for people to have a suddenly vision. So. Um, that's the kind of thing. So for, to cast this vision, you know, we got to give people that opportunity to, to see it. And this is what Moshe did to us. You know, he, he gave us the opportunity to see because of what we heard, you know, which is Parsha Ekev, which is what we just written. We were just read last week. So, uh, I want us to be bold in that. And I want to, encourage you and even challenge you if you feel like this is a really interesting way to start a parsha uh from aleph mem tav over here but you know i'm just i don't know i just want to see i just want to see the whole world redeemed i don't know about you it's kind of cool going from the place of saying baruch abba shem adonai because i want my own pains and trials and tribulations to be over but another thing to want it for everybody else because you start to see 
the potential in everyone and you start to see the goodness in everyone. And um, I'm going to go ahead and just end this intro with uh, a beautiful chidush, like a, a inspired teaching or drop, if you will, from Dr. Sakal. So Dr. Sakal, if you get to hear this, I just want to let you know, you know, from from man to man, I love you. And I appreciate you. And, you know, you're so you're so amazing. And uh, so he brings this down from Parsha A, And talking about being able to see the goodness in other people. So I'm going to start with his intro and then I'm going to jump down. So he sends this to me. He says, Parsha A begins with Re'e Anoki Notein Lifnechem. Hayom Braka Uklala, which is, see, I am placing before you today a blessing and a curse. He says, we should see clearly. We should be able to distinguish between truth and its opposite. When we look for truth and when we find it, we have a clear vision, both physically and spiritually. So going down a little bit, what is clear vision? What is truth? Answer, when you see Hashem in everything. Selah. What is clear vision and what is truth? When you see Hashem in everything. Do you just know how ridiculous that is? That means when you go to work. That means when you're stuck in traffic, that means when you're in the line at the grocery store and the the person that's at the register is struggling and they may or may not know what they're doing. And, you know, it's just kind of like, I don't have time for this. Can you see Hashem in that? It's just like, man, that's when you have clear vision. That's when you actually read a. And again, we're talking about the whole world being able to be to a point of read a. How can the whole world clearly see? They got to see Hashem in everything. And how do they see Hashem in everything? They see who Hashem is in the everything that we are. That's right. They see who Hashem is in the everything that we are. How are we working? How are we driving? How are we standing in line? What is our perspective of how we respond not react to situations. How do we carry ourselves? So anyway, you want to give clear vision? You want to see clear vision? You want to see truth? You have to be exactly who you are, doing exactly what you do, causing Hashem to be seen in everything. I distinctly remember Mashiach saying, let your deeds so shine before men that they may see your Father and glorify Him. Like, let, let your light so shine before men, okay? Which is your good deeds and, and what you do. So they will see your deeds and they will glorify your Father who is in Hashemite. So that's from, obviously, the writings of Matthew chapter 5. Beautiful passage. So anyway, so continuing on with the Dr. Sakal insight. You see him in everything that happens to you throughout your day. When you have clear vision, you also see good in yourself and in other people.
see, before I got this text message from him, I definitely had a trouble, you know, seeing good in myself because, you know, there's the things that, you know, generally, okay, yeah, you know, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I show up to shul, I dive in, I pray, you know, for people and I pray with everyone and I study the Torah and I try to my best to be devoted to Hashem. But like, do you see good in yourself? Like, do you give yourself the, the opportunity to be like, look, Hashem created me for a reason. I have an existence for a reason. Like, I can't just overlook that. I can't just be like, why try? Why? I mean, it's life is so overwhelming. I'm getting steamrolled. Like, what does it matter if I do anything? Okay. I have a feeling I'm way over 15 minutes. Let me check. Yep. So fail on the introduction. <laughs> anyway. But this is my final point of the introduction. So I guess that's good. That's half winning, which is not really winning, by the way. Anyway, so you got to see some good in yourself. And you also have to see this in other people. So those things that bother you, those things that you're just like, I don't understand why you compute this way. Why when I put in three plus four in your calculator, you always come back with 18. Like, why? Three plus four is always seven. Why are you not seven? Why are you always 18? And one plus eight is nine. So like that doesn't even get close to seven because it's like two more than seven. Anyway, you got to see the good in them. It's just like that bothers me. But you know what? This person is so good because Hashem created them and they're benefiting me some kind of way that I don't see right now. But I, if I open my eyes and ask Hashem to help me, I will see it. So, yeah. So and then this is like my favorite part of his insight. All right. So a key to attaining clear vision and truth is looking for is looking for which, by the way, that's how you find grace, by the way. The grace that uh, Hashem extended to Noah. It says and Noah found grace in the eyes of Hashem is because he was adamantly looking for it. He was searching it out. In other words, Yeshua says, ask, seek, and knock, and you will find. So same thing with grace, by the way. In order for you to have received the grace of Hashem, the gift of Hashem, you had to be searching or seeking for it. Somewhere inside of you, you were searching and seeking. And Hashem was like, because you were looking, here I am. You found me. But if you're not looking, you're not going to find it. So if you're ever having uh, difficulty with why people won't listen to you, why do you always end up in arguments over spiritual stuff? It's because the people on the other end of the conversation are not looking, so they won't they won't see. But if they're looking, then it's our job to help them see. That's why we're Avengers. We're supposed to be helping people. We're superheroes. We're not uh, riot uh, personnel. Okay, we don't we don't start riots and we don't participate in them anyway. So you attain clear vision and truth. The way do you do that? You look for the good points in yourself and others look for the good points in yourself and others. So you find those points, you sift it out like digging in the sand at the beach and you find these like fancy rocks and pearls and stuff. Bezrata Shem, you find pearls. If you do, please hand me a couple, please. Um, and we can share in the good times. Buy some extra kiddish and some extra holla. 
you know, or pay some people to make some holla, you know what I'm saying? You know, kind of work it out. But anyway, it's fun times. You know, it'll be going against the grain. That's what we can call it. Uh, anyway, so when we look for those good points, we're basically drawing out the final redemption. And when we do that, we're going to give such clarity to the world like HD. Forget about it. There's something beyond HD. It's called the final redemption. Anyway, so for all of those HD lovers out there, you really want HD? Bring the final redemption and you'll be like, I can't believe I was just stuck watching this the whole time. I could have had something better. That's going to be the the total uh, analysis, by the way, for everybody. So they're just going to be like, I don't know why I didn't want this before. I don't know why I didn't ever think about this before. Like, that's what the final redemption is going to be like. It will be, don't get me wrong, it will be a little rocky for, uh, you know, the judgment aspect. Because, again, that's why if we speed up the redemption, we can sweeten the judgment because if we let judgment continue to pile up, then it gets worse, you know, so but if we can lessen it, turn it down a little bit and hopefully the punishment won't be as bad, you know, for things that need justice, you know, for like wickedness and evil uh, actions and evil intentions and, and things of those nature. Yeah, we got to get those all. Those are going to have to be taken care of. So that does come with the final redemption, too. So anyway, find those good points and let's cut the the darkness and the evil and the idolatry and detestableness out of the world and help people not have to have depressions and suicides and all sorts of unnecessariness. Again, creation is groaning. They they don't like it. We shouldn't like it anyway. So it goes on to say you find those good points. All the dross and all the falsehood drips away. See, because when you start finding all these good points in yourself and in others, you're going to notice, hey, I really like myself. And when you start liking yourself, you're going to like be able to serve a shim like ridiculously. Like you're going to be like, I'm praying six times a day instead of three. Just because you're just going to be you're going to have so much energy. You're going to have so much enthusiasm that it's going to be that ridiculous. I promise you. And then uh, praying without ceasing is not going to be such an unimaginable thing. You're going to be like praying while you're like writing your name on like invoices or like while you're swiping your card at the, uh, you know, wherever you're at to swipe your card. We're getting gas. You're going to be like, Hashem, I bless you for fuel. Oh, my goodness. I feel fuel like it's going to be ridiculous anyway. And then. And other people, though, that's the thing. Those people who calculate 18 when you type in three plus four, like for some reason, their 18 is going to look so much like seven that you're going to be like, you're you're still calculating 18. But like I'm seeing seven like this is legit. I don't even think this is right, but this is legit. I mean, I want this to re this right. Is this so wrong that it's right? You know, kind of thing. So you're going to start seeing that. And that's what's going to be awesome. So like you're going to like totally have like your your enemy and your frenemy, which is your friend. But they're kind of like your enemy because you're like, I want you to be my friend, but you're not quite my friend because you're more enemy than friend. So you're my frenemy. Anyway, a little hip hop slang, but uh, or probably just jive in general. But uh, yeah, so those people, you're going to cut that list way down by like 85 percent, if not more. 
Not that I need to give percentages or anything. So that's going to be awesome. And then check out this next sentence. What you are left with is a sparkling nashama, a beautiful, shiny soul that's connected to the source. Man, that's going to make people who aren't believers. That's going to make people who are Christian. That's going to make people who are like, I don't even know what you are. Like, that's going to turn all those people into like a ball of light. You're going to be like, I can see Hashem in you. I can see like goodness. Like, I don't even know what it is. Like, how are you not Torah observant? Like, you're literally going to be able to see that. And it's going to make interacting with these people such a joy. And you're going to be like, man, can we go grab a cup of coffee? Like, you know, and you'll be able to be at a place of non-judgmentalness. They'll be non-judgmental. All defenses will be down. It'll be like incredible. So I'm just saying, I'm just telling you, that's what's ahead. So with Ray A, let's set it off. That's, that's the term I'm going to go with, set it off. So um, not bad. 25 minutes instead of 15. So that's the intro. Up next, let's talk about Ray A like what the word is all right transitioning all right so this week's tour portion of ray a ray a is spelled race let me go make sure i'm uh courting it said okay spell race olive hey race is 200 olive is one hey is five 200 plus 1 plus 5, 206. Great job. 6 plus 2, 8. All right. What is 8? 8 is all about new beginnings. And when you read A, you definitely will have new beginnings. So Parsha read A uh, starts off in Devarim 11.26, uh, talking about see what I have set before you, which is namely a Baraka and a Kalala, a curse. Kalala is curse. Baraka is obviously blessing. So you can see these things, which I think is amazing. Because you would think, oh, it's, it's a blessing or, oh, it's a curse. But those things actually have an image, just like Hashem has an Im image. So we're not supposed to make his image, but he has one. Unless it's building a temple, of course, which how do we do that? By being living stones. What's a living stone? It is one who exists in the reality that Hashem has fashioned it to be. So what are you? Who are you? And why are you? And do it. That's how you be a living stone. Anyway, so... Red A. So I'm over here with G Shekel, breaking it down like a champ. He goes, the name of this portion is Red A, and it means to see. The numerical value is 206. With the kolel, which is adding one for the whole, is 207, which becomes the gematria of or, which is light, and also the gematria of Raz, which is secret. It's interesting that the light and secret have the same gematria because you would think what's done in secret, you know, should be technically hidden. But Yeshua also said what's done in secret is going to be brought to light. 
So that's the thing. Light and secret have the same gematria because ultimately what you do in secret will be brought forth into light because it's connected to light. So get you some of that, which means if we are truly children of the light and if we're truly walking in the light as Hashem is in the light, you know, then we should be able to see some of these secrets of Torah, namely the Messiah, namely all of this beautiful Jewish literature that does not negate having a Muna in Yeshua HaMashiach, and namely that doesn't, uh, you know, slander those who follow him. So because you're in the light, you have this opportunity to see. And again, there has been a partial blindness placed upon Israel who rejects Yeshua currently, just like the brothers currently, or at that time when they got to Egypt, they currently rejected Yosef. They were like, he's probably dead anyway. So there's no way Yosef's around here. Maybe we can look for him or something, but he's not going to be a king like he said he was, you know, all that kind of stuff. But then he ended up, you know, being nice to them. He fed them. He gave them extra stuff. He set them up for, you know, um, being judged as thieves. Oh, wait, that was kind of harsh. No, it was it was all a ploy because he needed to get them back there and put them in a situation to see if they would make teshuva. I.e., I need your youngest brother to be brought here. And until then, you know, all of you are going to be separated and dispersed. And it's just like, well, I mean, I guess you could keep Shimeon, even though we really would rather you not uh, keep him in prison. I know Shimeon was the one who threw Yosef in the pit, but we're not going to talk about that because you're not Yosef. And we don't want to talk about Yosef right now because we're in trouble. But, uh, you know, and then Yosef is like, well, I need you to bring Benjamin, you know, bring the youngest son. And they're like, Psh over our dead bodies. And it's like, well, Shimon is staying in jail. <laughs> and they're like, okay, let's talk about this. Let's not get too hasty in our decision-making. We'll figure something out. And then they eventually, through a turn of events, they go get Benjamin, bring him back. And then Benjamin gets sets up, and then Yehuda's like, that's it. I'm killing everybody. The My brothers, we're killing everybody. Egypt is going down. We will destroy the whole entire world if you think over your own crazy, insane mind, oh, king, by the way. And they're like, oh, so you acknowledge Joseph as king. But anyway, you think that you're going to take Benjamin, you're wrong. And Yosef is like, oh, my gosh, they're fighting for their youngest brother like they should have fought for me. They've made Teshuva, which means they've been placed in the same position they were placed in before, and they've chosen to be of different character. And so since that's happened... I can go ahead and reveal myself now. They've made Teshuvah. So anyway, as it is with, you know, those who reject Yeshua currently, who are followers of Torah, you know, one day they're going to know. Until then, there's partial blindness. So even though they're in the light, they're still not able to see these secrets. So what does that mean for us who do see the secrets? That we should rejoice. And furthermore, that our hearts should be like, not just broken, but yearning for our brothers, yearning for all of the nations even, because people who are currently idolaters, guess what? They're going to get converted. I'm one of those people. I was an idolater for like 
I don't know how many years of my life, maybe 26 or something like that. It was 2013, 2012, around that time when I began to grab a hold of the Torah and then purification on from there. It is now 2020. So, you know, talk about that. But up until 2013 and I was born in 1986, I was an idolater. I mean, I believed in JC. I didn't know his name was Yeshua. I really didn't even know he was Jewish, to be honest. I mean, king of the Jews doesn't necessarily have to mean Jew in my in my own head. I didn't think that, you know, or, you know, he was JC of Nazareth. It's like, yeah, he was Nazareth. He wasn't a Jew. He was a Nazareth, a Nazarite. And it's just like, well, no, he was from Nazareth, not a Nazarite. And Nazareth, by the way, is in Israel. And Israel happens to be the home of Jews. And yes, the king of the Jews has to be a Jew, because if a Jew has a king, he can't be anything else but a Jew. And it's just like, oh, my bad. Let me fix that. <laughs> you know, and so that's kind of my whole path of how everything worked out. And so all those gracious souls who prayed for me and who taught me, uh, I love y'all for that. So guess what? We're in that boat now for other people. So if you're having people who are difficult or anything like that, seeing the light, Ray A, if they're having a difficulty with doing the Ray A to the or or the Raz, that's what's up. Okay. Hashem will convert them though. So it's okay. And I will say it's not really anything anybody said to me as much as it was of Hashem's spirit really uh, coming up on me. So once his spirit came upon me, it didn't matter what people said. You know, this is why such miraculous things like, oh, don't get into that law stuff now, because, you know, we believe in JC like he's my Lord and Savior. Like, remember that he's your Lord and Savior. Like the law can't save you. Only he can. And it's just like, OK, thank you for thank you for letting me know what I've been living in. OK, I appreciate that. You know, I know gravity is a real thing. And it's just kind of like, okay, but anyway, that was snarcasm. My bad. I'm sorry. Snarky sarcasm, snarcasm. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so that ended up happening and it was just kind of like, okay, but I'm going to keep following Torah though, because I love the Bible. And as I read this Bible that I love so much, I'm finding out more things that by the way, why aren't more people who are Bible lovers sharing this, teaching this and also doing it? So that's kind of something. But anyway, I didn't let that distract me because that uh, that, by the way, newsflash that will distract you and throw you off the cliff into the pit of dragons, demons, uh, crocodiles and spikes and knives and swords and snakes. Yeah, that kind of pit exists and it's called getting distracted. It's called getting upset with the shul. It's called uh, I don't know about this rabbinic stuff. It's called. Man, my family, I just feel so bad for them. I just wish they would understand. And like taking that overboard as opposed to being like, I wish they would understand. I will dive in for them and I will continue to live as a, a luminary, a luminary example for them. You know, kind of like the way the sun shines in the sky. I will be like that because if the sun didn't shine in the sky, there'd be lots of darkness and people be tripping over shrubbery. Just because that seems like what would happen anyway. So that's how the secret and the light works together with seeing. Re so then 
back to G shekel. He says, when we add the letter Yod. Notice how we did that to last week's parsha uh, <laughs> at Kev. We added the letter Yod and it became Yaakov. And then we talked about that in the heel and stuff anyway. So that's uh, parsha Ekev GT. That's what happened there. Anyway, so with Ray A, guess what? If you add a Yod, G shekel brings down, it becomes Re'i or uh, Re'ya, which is seeing. And its numerical value is 216. I just want to point out that this is the word, uh, the same word. If you rearrange the letters, permutate is what that phrase is. If you permutate the letters, Re'ya, which is Resh, Aleph, Yod, Hey, you get the word Yire, which means to see. So you can say Re'ya or Yire, and it's still seeing. This is the word that's used for Hashem as he appeared at the Akedah in Bereshit chapter 22 of Parashah Vayera. And this is the word that's commonly pronounced as Jaira. And it's just kind of like, okay, first of all, there are no J's in Hebrew. They say, you know, he's he's the Lord, my provider. He's, uh, you know... Uh, improperly pronounced divine name, Jaira, you know, and it's just kind of like, wow, okay. It's actually Yire, but that's cool. And, uh, but anyway, so it actually means to see. And the reason why it's provider is because if you translate from Hebrew to English, you lose four steps because that's what happens when you do that. Uh, and you get all the way down to he provides as opposed to he sees. But you can actually follow it back up, even if you did lose four steps, because how do you provide something? You have to see that there is a need for a provision to be provided for. So if you really think about all that, you can go that way and not have to be so, well, if you don't know the Hebrew, then, you know, it's a problem. It's like, well, I may not know the Hebrew, but if I use a little bit more of my brain, I can get it, actually, which... By the way, as I just said that, I'm thinking, wow, that's ridiculous. So there's really no excuse for not knowing Torah, because even with a, a loss of information in translation, if you really have eyes to see and ears to hear, you'll still be able to find the Torah, which Yeshua said that about himself. Here I stand, you know, arms stretched out all day. You know, is anybody going to come? My arms are not too short to save. Just saying, even if you think you're in the lowest of the low, I'm already there. Did you read Psalm 139? D did you read the story of Shaul Hashliach, the, the Apostle Paul? You know, I realize I've been calling him Rabbi Shaul and I'm like, well, he was a Shliach too. And by the way, he wasn't the only rabbi. You got Rabbi Yaakov, James. You got Rabbi Kepha. You got Rabbi, um, who else we got? Yehuda, Jude. I mean, they're all rabbis. They're all teaching. And so, you know, uh, that there's that. So actually, now that I've said that, you know, I know what my next segment is. You know, call no man rabbi. Oh, Got to get the uh, the spooky sound. Ooh. Say it again. Say it again. Rabbi. Ooh. Like Mufasa from uh, Lion King. Anyway. So, Yire 
it's not gyra it, it means to see and it's not just providing but it's seeing that there's a provision that's needed and notice when uh abraham says that hashem is yere that this is all centered around the the ram that was provided the supernatural ram by the way that wasn't born of a mama and daddy ram so it was supernatural but it was in the physical so like yeshua's body who wasn't born of a mummy and a daddy body but just a mama body and so yeah that he was here though and it's just kind of like okay so yeshua is in the same form as the ram he's in a physical form but he wasn't born of a mummy and a daddy coming together Okay, that's good. Now we can understand that better. So it has to be divine because if you're not born of a mummy and daddy, but yet you're in physical form, okay, how did you make that happen? You know, uh, yeah, we have medical things that we can do today, but this is not how that worked for the Ram or for Yeshua, by the way. Important to note that. It's called Conception Through the Ruach HaKodesh. Uh, the term you would think would be immaculate conception, but that all has to do with Miriam being the divine one, which is why there are statues of her in cathedrals. And interesting to note, that's not Miriam in that statue because that's not what a Jewish woman looks like. And furthermore, that is a Roman god or Greek god, actually, because Roman gods come from Greek and Greek gods come from Egypt. So just go ahead and long story short, all that. Uh, next up, <clears throat> he says that if we add this yod, it becomes 216. Let's add that up. Two plus one is three plus six, nine. Guess what? Nine all has to do with the, uh, the summation of creation, which is called the seal of God, which is emet, which is truth. And so truth is 441, Aleph, Mem, Tav, 1 plus 40 plus 400, 441, 1 plus 4, or let's see, God, let's go with the 441. 4 plus 4 plus 1 is 9. So now you have Amet and Reya and Yere all having a connection, which all has to do with Or, which all has to do with secret, which all has to do with seeing. So there we go. And it says, uh, this is back to G. Shekel, he says the, this number, 216, represents the 72 names of God, which consists of 216 letters. Get you some of that. All 72 names of God, if you count all the letters of all those names, it comes out to 216, which all has to do with being able to see Hashem. So if you want to get a picture of Hashem, Put all 216 letters together or just read Parsha Re'ah. Re'eh. Slika. And when you see Hashem, that means you're going to see blessing or curses. This is why it's important for us to know. In Yeshua, there's also blessing and curses. And because, you know, he flipped over money changer tables, you know. So it wasn't all like, Yeshua is so cool, man. He like, he's picking lilies with his friends. He's nice with everybody. It's like, no, he came in the temple and laid the smack down. And then he cursed a fig tree. Like, what is going on? It's just like, yeah, because there's blessings and there's curses in the Torah and Hashem. The determining factor is how do we see him and what are we doing with it? Because 
You can see truth all day, but are you acting upon it or against it? Are you following the word of God or are you disputing it and dis, dis or dispersing it, saying, well, we're going to do this part, not this part. Yeah, you're dissecting it, dividing it up and all that kind of stuff, which is important to note. You can divide up the word of God, but you got to rightly do it to the point that you don't undo it. In other words, you can take all these different texts. Let me give you an example. So I did a random uh, find on, um, whatchamacallit, on Safaria. And check this out. I was in Shabbat 88b. This is how you rightly divide the word. You're going to take one verse from Song of Songs, chapter 4. Another verse from Song of Songs, chapter 1. And connect it to Judges chapter 5. That's how you rightly divide the word. Now, because of time, you know what? I was going to say because of time, I'm not going to read it. But guess what? It's GT. I got to read it. All right. So I'm going to not comment. So Hashem helped me not comment on this comment. So rightly dividing the word and Rabbi Shemuel Bar Nahamani said that Rabbi Yonatan said to witnesses, Okay, uh, what is the meaning of that which is written? <clears throat> you have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. You have ravished my heart with one of your eyes, with one bead of your necklace. Song of Songs, chapter four, verse nine. Okay, so that's the first verse. Okay, so we're taking that and then we're going to divide it up. At first... When you, the Jewish people, merely accepted the Torah upon yourselves, it was with one of your eyes. However, when you actually perform the mitzvot, it will be with both of your eyes. Allah said, with regard to the sin of the golden calf, insolent is the bride who is promiscuous under her wedding canopy. Rav Mari, son of the daughter of Shamuel, said, What verse alludes to this? Song of Songs 112. While, I, while the king was still at his table, my spikenard gave off its fragrance. Its pleasant odor dissipated, or dis, yeah, dissipated, leaving only an offensive odor. Rav said, nevertheless, it is apparent from the verse that the affection of the Holy One, blessed be he, is still upon us. As it is written euphemistically, as gave off its fragrance. And the verse did not write, it reeked. And the sages taught about those who are insulted and do not insult, who hear their shame and do not respond. Hashtag Yeshua alert. Who act out of love and are joyful in suffering, the verse says, and they that love him are as the sun going forth in its might. Judges 5.31. So we just took a whole bunch of scripture out of context, but we did not nullify the word of God by doing so. Because if you take scripture out of context, it becomes, or if you take scripture out of context, for the sake of disputing the word of God, it becomes a pretext. 
i.e., you know, we're not, we're no longer under the law, we're under grace. It's just kind of like, well, if you really know what that means, you should study the story of Purim, and that would help you out. Furthermore, if you studied Yitro, then you, that would really help you out. So then you can understand what not being under the law, but under grace means. So just to kind of help out with that. But anyway, so these were taken out of context for the sake of giving a more in-depth understanding because at Mount Sinai, we were at the wedding and we decided to go off and commit adultery like at the wedding, which there's not a lot of space to do that because you're at a wedding. It's a public event. So how in the world do you commit adultery in that setting? That's kind of disturbing on so many levels. Uh, but that's what we did at Mount Sinai. And yet Hashem was like, you know what? That was, that was whack. That was so whack. I cannot believe you, you would even like, I'm, I'm so done right now. First of all, I said, I'm going to destroy the whole entire universe. If you don't accept this Torah, which you said, oh yeah, yeah, I accept it. And then I was getting ready to like walk you down the aisle. And as I'm walking you down the aisle, you go off and commit adultery and just leave me. And it's just like, I'm right here. Like, what are you doing? And yet Hashem says, you know what? I, it's like a king still at his table. And then this fragrance goes off. And it's like, no, 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 king. I don't think you understand. It's not a fragrance. Like it stank up in here. And he's like, no, it's a fragrance. The fragrance went away. It's not an offensive odor. And it's just kind of like, wow, Hashem, seriously? And it's like, yeah, because remember that one time where, you know, how in Judges, it talks about the sun going forth in his might, which is about, you know, when those people get insulted and they don't insult back. And like when they hear they're shamed and then they don't respond to that and they act out of love. And then furthermore, they're joyful when they're suffering, you know, kind of like everything that Yeshua went through, like his whole life, you know, really uh, escalated quickly during the crucifixion. Uh, scenario 14th of Nissan was an insane day uh, but anyway so yeah so you know just kind of like yeah just kind of like that so if you really want to see where the crucifixion of Yeshua actually took place it took place in Shemot chapter 19 and it took place in Shemot chapter 30 and 31 and 32 33 34 like that's all the crucifixion resurrection and the burial and all that like there it is and you can find all that in Shabbat 88b so anyway, that's how you rightly divide the word of God. So that is Re'e, that is seeing Hashem, that is being in the light as he is in the light. I want to something, something shine. I don't know. I forgot the words of the song. I want to be in the light as he is in the light, something, something shining. Anyway, uh, Hey Double Lamet, which is our Hassan. Hallel, he uh, rewrote that song and gave us some Torah lyrics. So, you know, there's that legitness. And I didn't write it, so... Uh, but I've sang it. And I love it. But I just can't remember it. So I apologize for not having that information available. So, Re'e, Yira, Re'a, Raz, Shabbat, and Or. Because, by the way, 207 can be 702 if you permutate it. You can also permutate the numbers as you permutate the letters. So if you see like 26, you can make 2662. And then if you see, you know, 11, 11 is also 11. Anyway, so I don't know why I brought that one up. I just think that one's funny because it's like permutate 22. It's like, ha ha, 22. 
Anyway, so that'll do for the Ray A segment. On to Call No Man Rabbi. Ooh. All right, everybody. Buckle up. It's about to get ridiculous. Uh, I am not pulling punches on this, and I'm also not throwing shade. Throwing shade is a, a euphemism, apparently, modern vernacular for, you know, trying to talk down to people or talk bad about somebody. Like, if someone you know is ugly, which this is a this is a hyperbole because I don't like calling people ugly. Like, I don't think anybody's ugly, but that's just me because, you know, Hashem kind of created everybody. And so if I say somebody's ugly, then I'm saying, Hashem, you are such a horrible artist. You know, that's really what it boils down to if you think somebody's ugly. You think Hashem is just, like, terrible at creating. You're just like, that's ugly. Like, Hashem, what's wrong with you? This is basically what you're saying. So let's refrain from that. But anyway, if this hyperbole that should never happen uh, happens, be like, man, that person over there, like, wow. They need, like, a brown paper bag on top of an umbrella with some saran wrap. Like, that would be throwing shade. Or, like, saying something about them without saying something about them, about them. That's called throwing shade. So, anyway, so what I'm trying to say is, you know, there's this thing called Call No Man Rabbi uh, from a statement Yeshua made that has been taken so out of context. And the people who take it out of context are people who just don't like rabbis or uh, Torah at all. Like, they don't even want the Word of God. So... Uh, so this is me saying I'm not throwing shade at them. I'm also not pulling punches at the same time. So like I'm about to put this all the way out here because you have people who come in to uh, convert. You have people who come in to becoming Torah observant. They either start being Torah observant and somewhere in the first three months, like the first trimester, if you will, of being a newborn babe. You know, they, they flip the script and they're like, man, I don't know about this rabbi stuff. I'm calling a, a guy rabbi and I'm not even supposed to. I'm going against my own rabbi by calling this guy rabbi. And they're like the whole train and the track, everything just explodes and just goes in a bajillion pieces. And you're like, if you only understood what Yeshua was saying, because there are clearly people who are called rabbi and that's totally fine. Like... At that point, if you're not going to call anybody rabbi, you're not going to call people Mr. or Mrs. or Professor so-and-so or Dr. so-and-so. Oh, my gosh. Like, you're going to have to get rid of, like, your, half of your vocabulary. So, surely Yeshua didn't say that. So, anyway, uh, if you are at this point or if you've been past this point or if you're approaching this point, may this be on time for you. How does this deal with Parsha A? Well, because the guy who is uh, teaching us in this Torah portion, he's called Moshe Rabbeinu, like Moshe, our rabbi. So, <laughs> you know, Yeshua says you only have one rabbi, but yeah, we're calling Moshe our rabbi. But Hashem is our rabbi. So, like, what does this mean? All right. So here's where I'm going to start with this. I'm going to start with the red flag verse. That is, well, I'm going to say not a red flag verse, a hot button verse where people, you read this verse, the people who understand what it says, they're like, yeah, Baruch Hashem. I totally understand. 
the people who don't understand this verse see i knew it i knew it that rabbinic judaism stuff i should have just stayed solo scriptura i would have been fine i could have studied on my own been led by the spirit and called brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so and i would have been good so here we go ready matthew 23 8 through 10 but you are not to be called rabbi for one is your teacher and you are all brothers and call no man on earth your father for one is your father who is in Hashemayim nor are you to be called teachers oh for one is your teacher the messiah all right let them all fly i'm gonna give you a minute i'm gonna, I'm gonna sit here i'm gonna keep rambling under my voice while y'all be like man he just said don't call anybody rabbi but yeah we got rabbis he also said only one is our rabbi is he does he mean like the number one or is he saying like there's only one person or like who is one or like are we talking echad because echad also means one but it's not really like a quantity thing and so it's kind of like a title or more like a a meaning or like i don't know what is one what what is he really saying is he talking about neo from the matrix who's called the one like surely he's not talking about that the matrix came way after okay so i went on a, a crazy lamb trail over there let's go on another one shall we okay and he also said call no man father but like that means i've been like growing up my whole life i don't want to call my parents by their first name so i never call my dad by anything other than dad or pops i never want to call him homeboy or parental unit i can't even call him parental unit now like he he's taking away my like i can't even call him something fancy like because i'm not supposed to call anybody my father because i only have one father so like Oh, the word Abba is like totally wrong. I can't call anybody Abba. This is not good. Oh my goodness. Okay, one more. And it says, oh, don't call anybody teacher. Oh my gosh, I've been calling this professor so-and-so or miss or uh, mister or missus and like, um, you know, doctor, you know, I'm like all of my teachers in school, all my teachers at school, like I got to now call them by their first name. I thought that wasn't proper to call an adult by their first name if you're a child. And like, even if you're an adult and they're they're older than you, it still is kind of weird to be like calling them by their first name. So I still want to like add a mister or, or whatever their title is or something. And like, now I got to get rid of all these titles and I got to call people by brother. Like, what about sisters? Like, do I get to call people sister? Okay. Is that, to is that still okay? Is brother still okay? Okay, I hope I'm helping people. I'm just venting. I'm venting for myself because as I read this passage, I'm like, okay, call nobody rabbi, check. Call nobody father, check. Call nobody teacher, check. It's just like, mm. So I need to talk to my mom and my dad. So I'm not really sure how to address them. Smoke signals may work, but that's only if they're not distracted or if they're not watching TV. They may go, what's burning? And look around and be like, oh, my child is trying to get my attention. Which, since I'm not their father, they're probably not my child. So I don't even know what this strange being is trying to do. They're trying to communicate with some sort of method. And if they do, I'm not really sure how to approach it. Because since they can't call me father, I don't feel right calling them son or child or 
my person born of my essence, you know, okay? All right. So now that all the the chickens and the elephants and all that kind of stuff is on the table and in the middle of the room and running around with fire on top of them, and the house is probably burning down and you're cringing because cringing is such a funny word to me. I want to use that and I finally get an opportunity to. So I'm going to say it again. You're probably cringing. Now let's uh, rewind. Let's get some definitions down, shall we? There's uh, the term rabbi, the term rav. And the term Rabban. Okay, these are all titles. So I'm going to hit you up with the Encyclopedia Judaica. Because, you know, if you really want to know true Jewish stuff, go to the Encyclopedia Judaica. Go to someone who is, um, you know, sourced out. That's that's who you talk to. You don't talk to go people who go, I don't know. Let me Google that real quick. Or I don't know. I think I heard so and so of so and so say, you know, and you're like, wait a minute. So and so of so and so said in the name of so and so. That sounds like a Talmud drop. And it's like, OK, but yeah, it's Talmud, though, because like everybody who's in the Talmud, like they're on a whole nother level. These are like people I would not even want to cook breakfast for me. Because I don't want them to have to be like seen as like, why are you cooking me breakfast? Like, first of all, I can't believe you're hanging out with me right now. So I want to cook breakfast for you. Like they're on that kind of level. But anyway, that's just me. That's my opinion. I'm sorry. We're about facts over opinion here or truth over facts. Some they say, I don't know. Truth over facts. Apparently that's a thing. I don't even know what that means. Anyway. Literally, it is truth over facts. I know I said facts over opinions, but it's literally truth over facts. We want truth over facts. And it's just like, sir, do you know what you just said? Anyway, uh, that's just a little inside Pela drop. Uh, Ish Pela shouts out to you for bringing that to my attention. I'm still laughing. It's weeks later. All right. So, but we're in the middle of seriousness over here. Why why are you joking right now? We're talking about Yeshua saying, call no man rabbi. And you're just like, oh, let's let's laugh about this, this uh, current crisis. Anyway. All right. So these are all titles, right? So the Encyclopedia Judaica says Hebrew term used as a title for those who are distinguished for. Why are they distinguished? Learning. Let me just tell you right now, if somebody is distinguished for learning, they probably know a little something. Okay, they probably don't use Google. Okay, just saying they don't base their facts off Google. They base their facts off of sources. Um, Continuing on, because there's more. It says, who are the authoritative teachers of the law? Did you know? That the people who are in the Talmud dropping knowledge like a champ, that those people were given the authority to say what they said because the Torah said so. So Parsha Shoftim talks about setting up judges, setting up officers, you know, basically setting up a, a body of uh, authority to help with 
um, what do you call it, distributing the Torah uh, to the people. You know, like back in Parsha Yitro, when Yitro told Moshe, hey, you need to not do all this by yourself. You need to set up, you know, wise men who are distinguished, who are not lovers of themselves or money. They have control of their household. Man, this kind of sounds like the writings to Titus, like the whole deacon and bishop drop. Which, by the way, deacon and bishop is not really those words, but this would be more of the elders, the shoftim type people. So if you read shoftim, you'll actually learn the Hebrew of those words, these these judges and these these um, officers. So they're called shoftim, by the way. So if you, you should have shoftim in your congregation at Sar Shalom Synagogue of Get You Some. We do have shoftim. They're called the Beit Dean. So they are Zakins. And Rabbi and Rebbe Zin, and they have an administrator under them. Her name is Agent Keturah. We'll get you some if you get out of line. Anyway, so uh, shouts out to Keturah. She holds it down. You know, she's definitely the uh, Agent Maria Hill uh, Avenger character. Like she don't play. And if you watch the uh, Spider-Man Far From Home movie, you saw Agent Maria Hill get a rocket launcher and blow up drones. So, like, I don't know. I'm just saying it probably takes a little skill to use a rocket launcher to blow up a drone. You got to have good aim. If not, you're going to blow something else up and that won't be good. I've already digressed from digressing. Anyway, so authoritative people, Parsha Shof team style of the law. Okay, so you should know. If you're going to dispute the Talmud, you're going to naturally go against Parashah Shoftim and Parashah Yitro at the least. Just know that, believe that, and trust that. So, just saying. Want to be real careful if you go against the Sanhedrin, or if you go against the prophets, or if you go against Joshua, or if you go against the original 70 elders who were under Joshua, not the first 70 elders who perished during the fire uh, concert in Bami Bar. The, the whole thing that led up to Eldad and Medad and the other 70 people that got, you know, cast lots and stuff like that to become elders. Anyway, there was a change in uh, the rotation because the 70 died and stuff. But there were 70 more put in their place, and under Joshua, those people transmitted it to the judges, the judges to Shamuel, and Shamuel to, you know, the prophets. So that's how the whole oral Torah was handed down. Anyway, you can look up Mishneh Torah, you can look up Pirkei Avot, and you can see all that. So anyway, but continuing on, though, there's more to this definition. So we got that a rabbi or a rabban or a rav, these were all titles. They're a title used to distinguish for learning and um, who are authoritative teachers of the law and who are the appointed spiritual heads of the community. It is derived from the noun. OK, so all of this is derived from from a noun. All right. So now. When Yeshua says, don't call anybody this. Because you only have one who is truly this. That doesn't mean that there aren't any of those people there. Because I'm just going to say, going to go out way out on a crazy limb here. 
if there's a synagogue, there's probably someone who's kind of responsible to oversee what's happening at the synagogue, who's kind of responsible for making sure synagogue things are happening at a synagogue. That, my friends, will be called a spiritual head of the community, a appointed spiritual head of the community, one who is distinguished for learning because the only way you can make sure synagogue things happen at a synagogue, you have to learn about what happens at a synagogue. Also, this person has to have authority because if not, then you shouldn't listen to them. And furthermore, uh, they wouldn't have their own synagogue if they didn't have any authority. Only people without authority have a not synagogue, i.e. they don't have a synagogue. If you don't have any authority, chances are you don't have a synagogue. If you have authority, chances are you may not have a synagogue and you're getting one or you have a temporary place that you can use as a synagogue or you have your own synagogue. That's just how it happens because that's what it is. Hashem, when he puts someone in authority, like he provides everything for that authority to take place. So he's not just going to go, all right, I have deemed you spiritual authority. Now sit here on the ground and talk to the grass. It's like, no, that's not how it works. Now let's talk about Yochanan because, you know, he was, he could be considered a rabbi, by the way, because he was out in the wilderness. But where in the wilderness? Next to the Jordan. My friends, I want to let you know, my compadres, my ninja warriors, that if you're next to the Jordan, that's not just a place called nowhere. You know, that is that is something because that's a mikvah. OK, a mikvah is like you might as well. I mean, I don't know. I could go so many ways with that comment that I'm about to make. But if you're next to a mikvah and that's your place where you have set up camp, like. The mikvah is the authority. Because without a mikvah, you have no converts. Without a mikvah, you have no purification. Without a mikvah, you're not immersed in the name of Hashem. I mean, you can do it spiritually until you get into the mikvah. But I'm just saying, you have a kosher mikvah ready to go. If if Hashem made you a rabbi there, and you're like, Hashem made you that, which means you follow the Torah, you don't dispute it, you teach it appropriately, and Hashem has made you a head of a community, Okay, so that's Yochanan. So hopefully his name is cleared. There's obviously way more I can say on that, but I'm not going to because that's not really what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to break down what is Yeshua really saying here? What's the what's the Jewish understanding behind his words? Because he's only speaking to Jews. He's not speaking to anybody else. It's important to note everything that's written in the gospel is written about and two Jews. Yeshua never sent his 12 out to non-Jews. Okay, Matthew chapter 10, he says, but don't go to the nations, stay, stay just to the Jews. Yeshua himself says, I come to seek and save that which is lost. I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. So when you really get down to it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you're a Jew, you'll be able to understand it better because it's all tied up to Jewish stuff. If you're not a Jew, 
Now you're going to have some discrepancies because you don't understand the Jewish stuff. Okay, so this next part that I want to bring down before I continue from the Encyclopedia Judaica, because I'm thinking about it, uh, the Amasink Chazan had this Jewish book of some sort that was kind of like a A to Z. It was like going through like different things that are aspects of Judaism, you know, like rabbis and uh, blessings and, you know, prayer and stuff like that. One of them came up uh, and said, you know, the type of people you don't call rabbi are those who like are self-serving, those who are arrogant, those who always want to like put themselves above everybody, which I guess is self-serving and arrogant. But anyway, it really was along all those lines, which really connected back to what Yeshua was saying in Matthew 23, because uh, with the conclusion of what we're going to do here, I want to read the whole thing in context because you got to start with verse one and you got to read from one all the way through 16. It's 16 verses. So obviously, who has time for that, right? And that's why it gets taken out of context because no one takes the time to read 16 verses. If you read all 16 verses, of which 8 through 10 is in the middle of, then you would understand precisely what Yeshua is talking about, even if you didn't think Jewishly. Because if you think from a normal reader's mindset, this is happening in the flow of thought. So therefore, if I read the whole thought, then I can understand what's going on. But if someone is having a conversation and I walk from across the room where I can't hear their conversation and I walk up and they're like, yeah, and that's when their face hit the door. And I was like, that's adorable. You're like, you have no idea why, if that's funny or if that's sad or like, is that, did someone really get hurt or like, should I be concerned? Should I like watch my face for the door? Like, is somebody going to hit me with a door? Who's facing doors around here? Who's door facing? You know, like you just you you have nothing. You just you butt it into a conversation. <clears throat> so anyway, taking scripture out of context uh, with a pretext in mind, i.e. I don't want to call anybody rabbi. So I see this passage. It says call nobody rabbi. And so that's what you end up doing. You're just like, I don't care what the whole thing says. I just want to get to the point. It says call nobody rabbi. So I'm not I'm not going to call anybody rabbi. Hashem is my rabbi. And it's like, great. So who's going to be there for you if you need to have a wedding officiated? Who's going to be there for you to answer any questions that you have difficulty answering, even though you've prayed and prayed and prayed, you fasted and fasted and fasted. You've sought and sought and sought all of the books you have in your library and in other people's library. Who is going to officiate your funeral? Who is going to visit you when you're sick? Who is going to pray for you when you're so confused about life that you don't know which way is up or down? Who is going to care about the well-being of your soul? And furthermore, who is going to care about how your spiritual growth is going or the lack thereof? And help you with that lack. That, my friends, is called a rabbi, a rav, and a ramban. If you have a person who's trying to occupy that title and wants you to call them that title, but they're not willing to do any of those things, now you can go back to Matthew 23, 8 through 10, and you can see what Yeshua says. Don't call anybody on earth 
Don't call somebody who's in that path a rabbi. Because only Hashem truly cares about your soul. Now, if you have a person who's laying it all down on the line, they're learning with all they got. They're asking you to pray for them as they try to help you. They have the follow me as I follow Hashem mentality. Those are the people you want to call rabbi. Hopefully you do because they're going to be there for you. You know, if the, if you're sick, you know, and they're like, let me know if you need anything, just checking on you. Or, hey, I haven't seen you in a few weeks. I haven't seen you at shul. Like, are you okay? Okay, those are the people. Those aren't just mere people that you should just dismiss. Be like, nope, they're not my rabbi because Hashem is. It's like, that's my brother. They're just being concerned about me like a good brother should be. It's like, no. This is a spiritual authority who's helping you and teaching you in Torah. They're shepherding you. These kind of people occupy the title rabbi. So. Anyway, so there's that. Wanted to bring that down. So that book that uh, the amazing Hazan had basically was saying these people you don't call rabbi are people who are like arrogant and self-serving and want to put themselves above you. They're like, honor me. I'm I should be honored. And it's like, why? Because I'm your rabbi. So honor me. It's like, okay, so you've disqualified yourself. Thank you. Matthew 23, 8 through 10 deuces, you know, and you're like out. You can even moonwalk off just to be cool. And they'll be like, they'll freak out. They'll be like, what? Did you just Michael Jackson me? It's like, yeah, I did. And I Tony Stark you too. Anyway, um, those are all euphemism that I just made up. All right. So back to the encyclopedia. It says the title Rav is a Babylonian term, which means Babylon is outside of Israel. So anybody outside of Israel proper is actually by the title Rav, and this is really back to like first century thought, by the way, back before we were in the Roman exile, back before the land of Israel was reestablished. So kind of like the last part of where the temple was still standing, where we still had a Sanhedrin. So um, that when we were dispersed and kicked out of Jerusalem, you know, some people had to go to Babylon. So those people who were spiritual authority, heads of community, they were given the authority by Shem, shepherds, those are called Rav's, just to distinguish, okay, you're from Babylon, so this is like the the Talmud Babli, the Babylon Talmud, like where that was put together at Yavne, okay, then it says that the term rabbi was for Eretz Israel. so this was like Jerusalem and other parts of Israel, so like inside the land, you're called rabbi. Okay. So nowadays, here we go. I'm just going to keep reading because I was going to get ahead of myself. It says this term of respectful address, ready? Gradually, say it with me, gradually came to be used as a title. The pronominal, man, pronominal, really? Suffix I, like in other words, instead of just saying rob, you now say rabbi says that suffix makes it my because when you want to put a uh, possession on a term. So if you want to say, um, let's see, uh, let's go with um, hmm, a term for I uh, voice. OK, if you want to say my voice, uh, call Lee. 
Okay, my voice, Cole Lee, or uh, Shell Lee, which is of mine. You add a yod to the end, which is I in English. Or sometimes Y, okay? I, Y, either way. All right, and so Rabbi, and then it says, uh, this makes it my, and it says, losing its significance with the frequent use of the term. In modern times, the term rabbi in Judeo-German, which is Rav. Okay, so now the term Rav doesn't necessarily mean from Babylon. It means like a Judeo-German, like a Yiddish. You say Rav. And then it says, is used as a word of courtesy, simulating the English for Mr. All right, so... That's your term, Rabbi. Let's lock it down a little bit more. If you look at the verse uh, where it says, but be not called a rabbi. So the, the Greek word there, the number is 4461, which is rabbi. It says, don't be called a rabbi for one is your new word. So it's not saying don't be called a rabbi because one is your rabbi, but it's saying don't be called a rabbi for one is your master. So now we're changing it out because this right here is letting us know that it's not necessarily don't call them a rabbi. It's actually pointing out because this other word, it says it's uh, Strong's number 2519, which is, let me give my Greek a shot here, kath kathegetes. I don't know. It's Greek to me, but it's the word for master. And so it's like, don't call anybody a rabbi and have them replace your master or don't set anybody up as a rabbi. That's going to be your master. OK, so like, in other words, if they're going to be a person that's going to be rabbi, you know, like make sure the only reason they're your rabbi is because they're helping you to Hashem. They're not replacing Hashem because you only have one Hashem. Because why? Because Hashem himself says, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, like one. Israel, you shall only listen to Hashem, your God, who is one. There is no one else but him. So in other words, if you're going to listen to somebody and replace Hashem, it's the same thing here that Yeshua is saying. If you're going to call somebody a rabbi and have them replace your master, guess what? Don't call them rabbi. Because at that point, they've become your God. They're not even your rabbi anymore. They become your, your echad. Like they become one to you. So like you don't even listen to Hashem anymore because you love this person so much. So that's, the, that's kind of the, the delicate you know, balance that we got to understand when we talk about rabbi. And furthermore, let's go back to Moshe Rabbeinu because we're in Parsha Re'e. The reason why he's Moshe Rabbeinu is because accepting the words of Moshe is accepting the words of Hashem. And accepting the words of Hashem is accepting the word of Moshe because Moshe is not outside of and he doesn't make up his own thing when it comes to the word of Hashem. He draws us to Hashem. He attaches us to Hashem. And that's what a rabbi is supposed to do. 
And so when you get down into this definition of someone who is learning, they're setting themselves apart to make sure that they're a good shepherd for the people that have been entrusted to them. They're making sure that everything that they're teaching lines up 100% with the word of God. Now, that's something that you really just have to say la and just kind of like work that all out because when you get down to that point, that person still cannot say anything that should pull you away from serving and blessing the name of Hashem. If you start saying Baruch Atah, Rabbi so-and-so, then you know you've gone too far, just a little bit too far. But if you're able to say Baruch Abab or Slika, if you're able to say Baruch Atah Adonai, and do that at the behest of your rabbi, then you know you're in the right place. Because I can guarantee you, as you listen to the Aliyah Day, Rabbi Griffin is kind of like, no, he's not kind of like, he is like, you know what? What do I know? But the knowledge I have is a snow cone to an iceberg. You know, this is just like nothing compared to Hashem and if you're not serving Hashem, you should be. If you are not seeking to bring light and redemption into the world, you should be. Like, that is everything that he's bringing out. That's the kind of person you call a rabbi because he is fighting against so much right now to, to bring us the word of God and to point us to God and to do exactly what Moshe does, to set before us life and death and give us the opportunity to be like, are we going to live today or are we going to die today? Do we want blessing today or do we want curses today? And to that point, the term rabbi is resh, bet, yod, and you permutate those letters, it becomes the word for fight, which is riv, resh, yod, bet. Or Reish Yod Vet, uh, if you want to be technical. And Reev is what we actually say in the seventh bracha of the Shemone Esrei, the Amidah, where we talk about the Geula, where we say to Hashem, may you see our, our uh, contenders, may you champion our fight and hurry to redeem us, Baruchatad Onai, Goel Yisrael, like that whole bracha. That word for may you uh, champion our fight and fight our battles, that's the word reeve. That's what a rabbi does. He fights battles for you. He contends for your faith. Just like Jude, the letter Jude wrote, the, the writing before Revelation. It's all about contending for the faith. He says, I wanted to write to you about something else, but I had to write to you about contending for your faith. <laughs> so that's rabbi talk. You know, uh, rabbi, by the way, the gematria is 212. Two plus one plus two is five. Guess what five is? The spirit of Hashem. So if your rabbi is not filled with the spirit of Hashem, you shouldn't call him rabbi. Number two uh, with the five is that he should be teaching you the five books of Torah. So if you have a rabbi who's not teaching you the five books of Torah, that's a problem. So yeah, there's that. All right, so 212 though, is the gematria of the word dibur, which is the word for speech. And then it's also the gematria for ha'or, which is the light. And you know what we just talked about with light and light and secret, right? 
So guess what? If you add a hey, a ha to the word Raz, you get the secret. So a rabbi literally is the embodiment of the secret of Torah. This is why you can't call a man a rabbi, because if you called just a man a rabbi and he didn't give you any light, he didn't speak with words of Torah, he wasn't filled with the spirit of Hashem, he wouldn't even give you an opportunity to glean secrets of Hashem. So a rabbi is the secret of Hashem because he's the one who gives us the secrets of Hashem. He points us to them. He highlights them for us. He goes, hey, check this out. Did you see this? Hey, just checking on you. Are you, you know, how, how, are, you, how are you doing? How's life? You know, are you, you connected to life, right? No, no curses, right? You're not choosing curses. You're not choosing death. You're not choosing evil, right? You're, you know, he's contending for you. He's being the secret of the word of God, like the, the insight of God. He's bringing insight. He's revealing truth. He's speaking truth. So that's the gematria of rabbi. All right. So now let's read the context. Let's go back and finish it out. Which, by the way, the word rabbi literally is used in Daniel chapter 2 when it's talking about uh, the king promoting Daniel. It says, Daniel, a great man. So it literally says, Le Daniel Rabbi. And uh, it's used about promotion. It's also used about him being great. So there's this thing where the person who is occupying the role of a rabbi, they should bring about an increase. They should bring about a promotion. They should also bring out the greatness, not in themselves, not just in themselves, but also in the people that they're over. Like we're all entrusted to a shepherd and a teacher. And so when we have questions and, you know, we have people to go to, they should be pulling us up. They, they themselves should be being pulled up. You know, there should be growth in their lives. So, again, these are not just men at that point. They're actually embodying the essence of what rabbi means. Also, in uh, Bereshit chapter 1, verse 22, the root of the word rabbi is used and the word urvu, which is the word for multiply. So there should be an element of multiplication going on from this title. So if there is not this adding to knowledge and adding to wisdom, uh, like exponentially or multiplying it, like not just you, but other people, like a whole community thing, you know, in that community, having people that they reach out to, if that's not being sparked, you're probably calling the, the wrong person rabbi. So there's going to be growth if you have a rabbi. Because uh, somewhere in here, uh, I was talking about a rabbi is one who has disciples. Where was that at? Oh, that was Hinuk. Yep, check this out. So, where did it say? It says, uh, I'm just going to read it. Sefer Hinuk uh, 491. And we have never set up a Sanhedrin, whether big or small, except with ordained judges. So the Sanhedrin, they're all ordained. They're not just like, hey, maybe you should be in the Sanhedrin. Okay. It's like, no, it was like they're ordained. It's like God appointed, like authority and stuff. Okay, it says, and Moshe, our teacher, ordained Yehoshua, his student, with his hands, by pressing his hands upon him, as it is written in Bamibar 27, 23, 
he pressed his hands upon him, and likewise he ordained the seventy elders that he gathered to himself, and those elders ordained others and others, others until the end of all those ordained. However, the ordination of all generations was not with the hand like the ordination of Moshe, but rather they would check if the one they wanted to ordain was an expert in the wisdom of Torah and if he was healthy and complete in his intellect. In other words, he was all there in the head. And then it says, and if was a man that loves truth and hates wrongdoing and all of its content. After great investigation into his makeup and his wisdom, three ordained sages, or even if only one of them was ordained, would say to him, behold, you are ordained. And from that time, they call him rabbi. And he has permission afterwards to even adjudicate cases of penalties. In other words, he can bring some strict justice. Um... Let's see here. I thought I had something down here about the people who were disciples. Let's see. Use my fancy little thing here. Yeah, okay. Um, oh, that's not what I was looking for. There it is. Uh, yeah, this was from the Encyclopedia Judaica. Sorry, it wasn't from Hanuk, but I love that Hanuk drop. So thank you, Hashem. Uh, it says Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov and others and dates from the time of the disciples of Ramban Gamli or Ramban Yohanan ben Zakai downward. Um, keep going. It says, a different account on the origin and sig significa or signification of the titles is given in the Tosefta to Eduyot, he who has disciples and whose disciples again have disciples is called Rabbi. There's your multiplication. He has disciples and his disciples have disciples. Now you got a Rabbi. Okay, so... Let's finish it out with the context. Here's what it says. Matthew 23. I'm going to do 1 through 7. Verse, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm, just, no, I'm not even going to break it down like that. I'm going to do the whole thing. All right. So Matthew 23, uh, 1 through dun, 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 16. Straight through. And then Yeshua spoke to the crowds and his Talmudim, saying, The Torah scholars and Pharisees sit in the seat of Moshe. So whatever they tell you, do and observe. But don't do what they do, for what they say they do not do. Okay, so because you're supposed to do what they say, but don't do what they do, because what they say they don't even do. So therefore, what they're doing is not really what they're said, which is why you shouldn't do what they do. And it says they tie up heavy loads, hard to carry. They lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. All their works they do to be noticed by men. They make their tefillin wide and their zit zit 
long. They love the place of honor at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called rabbi by men. But you are not to be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man on earth your father, for one is your father who is in Hashemayim. Nor are you to be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Messiah. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. But woe to you, Torah scholars and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut people out of the kingdom of heaven, for you do not enter yourselves, nor do you let those enter who are trying to go in. Woe to you, Torah scholars and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel over land and sea to make one convert, and when he become one, you make him twice as much a son of Gehenna as yourself. Woe to you, blind guides! You say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated. So if you read that whole thing, who should you not call a rabbi? Maybe people who say one thing and don't even do what they say, because if they did what they say, they would not be in the predicament that they're in i.e. they would probably not tie up heavy loads on people. They would probably not try to get the best seats in the synagogue. They'd probably not be like, hey, call me rabbi. And they'd probably not be like, hey, you should honor me. And I sit at the head of the table, even though you didn't invite me to. And chances are this is going to be a person who humbles themselves and knows that they're nothing, but only Hashem is the one who makes them something. That's the kind of person that fits the bill for being a rabbi. So I just wanted to point that out. So call no man rabbi. That's what we got. And hopefully that helps. All right. Parsha Re'e GT. Uh, this segment, uh, we're going to call it Zadaka and Choices. Okay. So may Hashem help me remember that. Because uh, we're just going to wrap it up this week. Uh, the call no man rabbi segment took a lot longer than I expected. But, uh, you know, Brukashem. Uh, so I'm going to start off this segment on Zadaka, and then we'll get into choices to close this out. Because this is all Parsha Re'e about what's placed before us. And we see so many different things about tithing. We see so many different things. Who do we worship? Where do we worship? False prophets. We see, um, you know, Kashrut. You know, uh, we see all sorts of things. So... Show enough Pinkus this week decides to drop kick like the rain on uh, Devarim 15.7, where it says, If there shall be a destitute person among you, any of your brethren and any of your cities and the land that Adonai your God gives you, you shall not harden your heart or close your hand against your destitute brother. Now, he's going to continue. This is way more than Devarim 15.7. But we're going to continue. It says, Rather, you shall open your hand to him. You shall surely give to him. Let your heart not feel bad 
when you give him for he for in return for this matter, Hashem, your God will bless you in all your deeds and in your every undertaking. Well, that's enough for me. That's the end of the segment. All right, Brooke Shem. Thanks for joining me today. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So if you see somebody destitute, give to them. Don't close your hand. Don't close your heart. Know that when you give to them, Hashem is going to like do something ridiculous for you. So just to get to the chase here, show enough pink is titles it. He says, opening one's hand to give Zadaka hastens the Geula by shattering the klipa of the hand that was sent to attack our Mikdash, which is our temple. So let me repeat that. Opening one's hand to give Zadaka hastens the Geula by shattering the klipa of the hand that was sent to attack our Mikdash. In other words, a hand that's going to give Zadaka is going to over, uh, it's going to counteract the hand that was used to strike down the temple, i.e. all of our crucify him, crucify hymns, all of the Rome siege and uh, destruction of the temple. Like, because you give Zadaka, you'll be able to rebuild the temple is basically what that is. Because instead of selling Yeshua, we would be buying Yeshua, which is why we have the whole exchange with the Afikomen at every Pesach. It's a small picture of what we should actually be doing on a macro scale. So now I'm going to jump all the way down to Pahina Cinco, page five of Shonuf Pincus. And he says about this whole thing about shattering the klipa of the hand. Remember, the klipa has to do with forces of impurity that conceal and that make a barrier for light and holiness to be brought forth. So, in other words, inside this klipa, there's actually light and goodness and holiness of Hashem to be brought forth. But you got to break the barrier. So, in other words, the hand that strikes is broken by the hand that gives. This is why we should cheerfully give our zadaka. This is why we should do everything within our power to be high givers. This is why we should all raise our hand high and be life givers for the mikvah shaloa project. And anytime we realize somebody's in need to give zadaka as soon as we can. And uh, for Purim, for Hanukkah, for any other Yom Tov, as a matter of fact, give zadaka. Just make Zadaka giving a thing that you do. Put a Zadaka box in your kitchen. Put a box next to your candles. Well, maybe not next to your candles, but in the proximity to you can put, give Zadaka and go right over to your candles and light them for Shabbat. Like that kind of stuff. Get used to giving Zadaka. Collect your coins. It's better actually uh, to give small coins more frequently than just big deposits. Like, oh, I gave $10 to Zadaka today. And then you go like two two months and you're like, okay, I gave another $10. But yet if you're giving like a quarter a day or like a penny a day, then in two months, how much is that? That's way more than $20, I can guarantee you. Okay, so anyway, give frequently and not uh, quantitatively 
over the top infrequently. All right, so here's what Shonuf brings down. He says, we will endeavor to explain the Gemara statement. Zadaka is so great because it hastens the Geula, the redemption. Good thing this is some Geula talk. All right, so pay your tithes. Give some Zadaka. Because Zadaka is not paying your tithes. So you pay your tithes, which is 10% of your income. And then you go beyond that. You can pay your second tithe. And then you go beyond that. And then, you know, now you're in Zadaka mode. This is over the top giving. Okay. So now it says, um, we will begin by introducing an illuminating teaching from our teacher, the Arizal. And pre eights Chaim, he explains why they instituted the following formula in the Musaf service of the three pilgrimage festivals, which is called Shalosh Regalim. Okay, the three pilgrimage festivals, Pesach, Shabbat, Sukkot, says, and we are unable to ascend and to be seen and to bow down before you because of the hand that was sent forth against our Mikdash. He refers to a passage in the Zohar HaKadosh, Terumah 172a. I now know where to put my tab. Thank you. Show enough. I needed some Zohar this week, and now I got one. Okay, so in Zohar Terumah 172a, it asserts that there is a star in the heavens that is shaped like the hand of the Klippa. While the Beit HaMikdash stood, it was subject to the dictates of the Holy Shekinah, which dwelled in the Beit HaMikdash. Okay, so here's the thing. This is why we need our temple, because even the Klippa has to bow and acknowledge and give homage to God and his Shekinah. Wow. Man, the Klippa is powerless in the face of the temple. Get you some of that. This is why demons fleed from Yeshua because he was a manifestation of the Shekinah because that's what the word of God is. Now you understand the word of God is one. The Shekinah is one with the word of God. Okay, so yeah. Anyway, so that was uncalled for. The Beit HaMikdash stood this klipa. It was subject to the dictates of the Holy Shekinah, which dwelled in the Beit HaMikdash. Anyway, trying to move on. says, hence... Shevet Yehuda, which is the tribe of Judah, was able to control this hand of the Klippa to successfully rule over and subdue the enemies of Israel. This is the inference of the Bracha Yaakov Avinu bestowed upon Shevet Yehuda Bereshit 49.8. Your hand will be upon the neck of your enemies. In other words, that hand of the klipa will itself be used to strike at the neck of Israel's enemy and subjugate them under the realm of Kedusha. However, when Shevet Yehuda strayed from the ways of Hashem and worshipped Avodah Zarah, idolatry, changing faith, changing religion, coming up with a new religion, getting rid of the Torah, undoing parts of Torah, keeping some parts of Torah, it's all Avodah Zarah says they mistakenly attributed to the that celestial hand of the Klippa superpowers that they worshipped it in various idolatrous ways. 
This is the implication of the passage in 1 Kings 14.22. Yehuda did what was evil in the eyes of Hashem. So, in other words, if you want to run away from Zadaka, if you want to close your hand to destitute people, uh, namely your brother, uh, if you want to get rid of the Torah, you're going to cause that same klipa that destroyed the temple to continue to keep us in exile. But if you're going to give Zadaka, if you're going to open your hand, then you cause that same hand that keeps us in exile to draw us in from exile into the final redemption. So that's called shattering the klipa. So just want to say another uh, flash grenade that he points out in his uh, writing here is on page four, where he talks about Abraham shattering all of his father's idols. Uh, when he did that, it says that he succeeded in becoming the master of all his possessions. The great wealth that Abraham Avinu had and furthermore, Yitzhak Avinu had, and furthermore, Yaakov, until it got stolen by somebody from Esau's family. But anyway, we won't talk about that. All that wealth, let's go back to Abraham, because that's nice. Okay. All that wealth that Abraham had, he only got it because he shattered the idols of his fathers, like of his father. So in other words, he left behind his, his household that was apropos or against Hashem. Like I can just tell you right now, if you come from a family that is not Torah observant and they teach against being Torah observant and they don't want to be Torah observant, you got to shatter those idols. You got to shatter all of that thought, get rid of all that theology. Because when you do end that merit, Hashem provides you with stuff you can't even, can't imagine. Now it's going to take a minute because I guarantee you, when Abraham shattered his father's idols, it wasn't a happy day. He didn't go home singing, Oh, happy day when Yeshua was. He washed my sins away. No, it was probably a little rough day for him. So, uh, yeah. So it will be a little rough when you transition out. But I guarantee you, give yourself time. You got a community and you have a rabbi. And you stick in with the flock. And you go through your ups and downs and people in the flock help you because you're humbling yourself. And they realize that they have to give you Zadaka if they want to get out of exile. Well, they don't have to, but it's probably a good idea because exile sucks. I I mean, I didn't. Well, I, I was going to say I didn't mean to say sucks, but I just kind of said it and I already said it again. But exile is it, it, it vacuum cleaners. OK, it just sucks like a vacuum cleaner. OK, anyway. Vacuum cleaners, however, are beneficial because when they suck, they actually clean up stuff. But the exile, when it sucks, it, it destroys stuff. I don't know how that works. But anyway, just want to bring that up. You want to get out of exile? You want to hasten the final redemption? Let's give some Zadaka. All right. Um, you know, there's this episode of Mount Gerizim and Mount Eval that happens in Parsha Re'eh. I love saying re'e. I love the reshes because I get to use my r sound like Moroccan. Anyway, um, I just like saying Moroccan. It's not necessarily that that accent is Moroccan. But anyway, uh, so in this parasha, those two mountains were one mountain gets the blessing, one mountain gets the curse. Guess what? There are 11 of those. It's like, why 
are we dealing with the number 11? Like, you couldn't have gone with 10, or you couldn't have gone with, like, 8, or, like, split it evenly between the two? Like, somebody got more than the other. This ain't right. There was, like, a 6 and a 5, or, like, a 5 and a 6, or something like that. It's just like, man, what's up with that? Anyway, so the Jewish wisdom and the numbers, before I even go there, guess what? Mount Gerizim, a.k.a. Mount Blessing, appears... And the writings of Yochanan in chapter 4 with Yeshua meeting the woman at the well. The whole spirit and truth drop happens on Mount Gerizim. So in order for us to experience true blessing, we have to worship in spirit and truth. You have to take the Torah and you have to take Yeshua, you know, spirit and truth here. And that's where the blessing is. Take one without the other, you don't have anything. Anyway, um, so let's get to this point. Jewish wisdom in the numbers, the number 11. It says the respective outlooks of Yaakov and Esau accord with the contrary concepts of blessings and curses. So now you can look at Gerizim and Eval as Gerizim, Yaakov, blessings, Eval, Esau, and curses. Okay, so look at that picture there. So I'm just going to say that the woman at the well happened on Team Yaakov. So if you're going to worship in spirit and truth, join Team Yaakov. Anyway, Braka, blessing, results from closeness to God, attained through observing his laws. Okay, footnote. Footnote, Chuck Norris style. See two opposite and equal. Okay, opposite and equal. Let's go back. See, because observing the Torah, sometimes it's said like, man, Torah is so hard, like it's so oppressive. I don't know if we can do this. So Jewish wisdom of the numbers is quite contrary. It says you want to be close to God. You want to experience blessing. You need to understand that's going to come through observing the Torah. All right. So opposite and equal. C2, opposite and equal. All right. Show me what you got over here. The number two can refer to the pairs of opposites within creation. The very existence of opposites can become a source of conflict caused by their antithetical characteristics. There are many opposing forces within the universe. The verse states, God has made the one as well as the other. There is the universal principle that everything God created, he created something else corresponding to it. Some of the well-known counterparts within creation include life and death, truth and falsehood, left and right, up and down. And the laws of physics, forces occur in pairs that are opposite in direction and equal in magnitude. There are positive and negative polarities of electrical charges and the opposite poles of north and south in magnetic fields. In the spiritual realm, there are counterparts in areas such as ritual purity and ritual impurity, what is forbidden and what is permitted. Objects that are sacred and objects that are mundane. So 
It says sin implies a departure from what came before. Um, oh, the spiritual component is pulled toward the Yetzer Tov. That's interesting. The spiritual component within man, his soul, is pulled toward the Yetzer Tov, the good inclination, urging him to choose Tov, good. Its goal is to purify the body by elevating it toward godliness and to the world to come. At the same time, the physical part of man, wow, the soul and the flesh is at war with one another. Wow, the writings of Shaul, here we go, right here. Anyway, a little, gal not, not Galatians, Ephesians drop. Uh, probably some Galatians in this too. Yeah, I guess so. Says, uh, at the same time, the physical part of man, his body is influenced by the Yatsahara, the evil inclination, which is drawn after evil. Its pursuit of worldly pleasures means the rejection of anything spiritual or godly. Each presents itself as an equally viable and compelling choice. This versus that. Wow. A side note, as I was reading all that, I found out, or I just realized I didn't find out, but I look at 11. 11 is 1 plus 1, which is 2. <laughs> so anyway, counterparts. That's what the number 11 is all about. So it says back over here on 11, says that uh, Braca results from closeness to God attained through observing his laws when serving God faithfully, man is rewarded with an abundance of bounty where all his endeavors are blessed. This channel of blessing was opened by Abraham when he became the personification of Bracha. Wow. Abraham became the personification of Bracha. Say to the La. No, say to the Liza. Like, wow. He became the personification Wow. So Braca, when it gets manifest, is Abraham. Wow. So like the whole thing about the word becoming flesh, like that's that's done before. It's called when the word Braca became Abraham. Anyway, um, just precedents, just bringing them down. It says it was transmitted to Yaakov, who in turn bestowed his blessings on Yaakov, it was trans. It was transmitted to Yitzhak, who in turn bestowed his blessings upon Yaakov. But Asav, ex who excluded himself from the ten utterances of creation, i.e., he took himself out of the Word of God, or maybe a part of it, and kept some parts of it. And it says that he allied himself with the opposite concept of kelala which is curse so moshe if we go all the way back to the beginning of parsha re'e he says i said before you yaakov and i said before you asaf which one do you want to do you have an equal choice for both yikes so yaakov is all about Braka, and asaf is all about kelala I can tell you this from personal experience that since I've joined Team Yaakov, the Kelala has become a nana. -na. <laughs> like, not, not. Like, it's gone. Uh, there's still a little bit there because I'm still having issues that I need to work through. But time, 
you don't get healed all at once. If you're sick, you know, it takes you a couple of days to get better, you know, so that kind of thing. Anyway, uh, there's lots of demons and de, uh, just horrible thoughts and depressions and things like that, that when I was a part of Team Ace of, I couldn't shake no matter how much I said I love JC, no matter how much I went to church, no matter how many passages of scripture I read which scripture to me was reading Timothy or reading Corinthians. And it's like, no matter how much I read all these motivational passages, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling like I was blessed. Like good things were happening. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like it was horrible, but compared to where I am now and being able to see and have clarity, goodness, it, it, you're just like, wow, I came out of that. How did I even, how did that even work? How was that even possible? It's a miracle. Anyway, hashtag join team Yaakov. Get out of the Kalala. Okay, and get in the Kahala, which is the community, the congregation. Anyway, it's never the word church that got made up from a word called cirque, which is circus. So whenever you're done playing games and tents, talking about revival this and revival that, if you want some true revival, some like resurrection, join Team Yaakov. Great idea. Moshe said that. I set before you. See? I set before you. Anyway, like a like a meal. Here's here's what we can have tonight. You can have like beautiful, amazing spread, or you can have crappy, terrible, burned food spread. Which one do you want? Which table are you gonna sit at? You want to sit at the uh, the biblically kosher table or you want to sit at the rabbinically kosher table? Because the biblically kosher table is actually not even biblically kosher. Because just because you eat animals that are on the clean list doesn't necessarily mean you're eating kosher. Biblically, you got the right animals, but the animals have to be slaughtered a certain way and they cannot be cooked with contaminants. So there's that. Little kashrut drop since we're on Pasha Re'e. So you want to eat rabbinically kosher, not biblically kosher. Uh, and by the way, eating rabbinically kosher is like your your soul thanks you for that. Just going to point that out. Anyway, hashtag join team Yaakov. All right. This can take form, the form of either a blockage of goodness where the divine blessings do not freely flow down to man from on high, or of complete severance from God. This is why the number 11, this number connected so closely to Asaph, is also synonymous with impurity, which is Tuma, which spiritually denotes distance from God. Indeed, Rambam with a mem, Rambam, Maimonides, categorizes 11 types of spiritual defilement. When entering the Holy Land, Eretz Israel, the Jewish people encamped at Mount Gerizim and Mount Eval, where they recounted the blessings and curses that would fall upon them based on, how do you get blessed or cursed? Well, it's based upon their compliance with or rejection of Torah. So, 
If you really want true blessing, then you have to comply with Torah. If you are wondering why do I feel cursed, it's probably because you're rejecting Torah. Uh, it says in the latter category, the, the rejection of Torah category, the hashtag not team Yaakov category. The Torah enumerates 11 particular curses that would strike them. Footnote. This is also in Devarim 27.15-25. through 25. You can see Rashi on that. And um, also Devarim 27 verse 24 is how the number 11 conceptually attests to being cursed by God. And then it says, you can see the Maharal on Devarim 29.28 on how the 11 dots above the words, Lanu Ulvanenu Ad, upon us and upon our children forever, allude to the aforementioned 11 curses. And it says the Vilna Gaon on Esther 4.1, the Remez, sees the parallel between the 11 as the curses and Haman and his 10 sons. Uh, Maharal and Teferitz Yisrael 54 and Gur Aryeh Devarim 27.24, who offers an alternative approach to where 11 can be the beginning of the sequence of numbers Related to the higher realm. This is another reason why uh, the Chazal bring down in his parsha that even though Mount Eval had curses, it's actually uh, the blessings are concealed by the klipa at that point. So when you actually undergo the consequences of the curses, it actually brings out uh, a deeper hidden light. Hence why. Even though we've gone through this this horrible exile of Edom, of Rome, of Christianity, that when this exile ends, the light that's going to be revealed is going to be so great that it's going to be called the final redemption and not just another redemption. So anyway, there's a little drop on curses. And it says this denotes their exclusion from the ideal blessed state where Israel is one with the Shem. So that transitions me into something that I read this week about like our choices and our decisions. So um, there are there is a conglomeration of sources on this. So I'm going to just kind of cite them as I go through them. So let me pull these up real quick. It's just kind of some notes I took. So starting off in uh, the Keher Tumash, uh, dropping in some Lakute Sikot Volume 4. Actually, no, this is Daily Wisdom. Slika. That that uh, Jewish problem where you mix up your sources, but they all say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, because believe it or not, like a lot of the Daily Wisdom is in the Keher Tumash. So whether in the Interpolated or in the uh, Hasidic Insights. So anyway... Uh, on 1126, like Devarim 1126, the commentary says a divine curse is actually a blessing that is too great to be revealed within our limited world and must therefore be disguised, i.e. clipped, 
just said this, as a curse. Our challenge is to see it in this perspective rather than falling into the trap of becoming angry with God. Thus, pain and negativity exist in order to provide us with free choice. Free choice, in turn, exists in order to enable us to earn the rewards for our choices. So, we need not feel unworthy of the blessings that God bestows upon us. When we recognize that evil exists solely to provide us with the free choice to reject it, our struggle with it becomes much easier. Lakute Siko, Volume 4, page 1339 through 1342. I also wanted to drop in that uh, back in Parsha Vaishev, my Parsha, come on. Uh, it says, and this is about Judah and Tamar. It says, Tamar's selflessness underscores the necessity for self-sacrifice. And it says, and selflessness in our efforts to hasten the dawning of the messianic age. So if we really want to bring the final redemption, it's all about self-sacrifice and selflessness. So this is why the Avengers is such an awesome thing, because the more we avenge, i.e. we work together and the more we lose ourselves and use our superpower in tandem with other people's superpower, that we're hastening the final redemption. There are sources that you know that I haven't even dropped and I've been talking for three hours. There are sources that I know that you probably have never heard of. And I maybe have only talked for five minutes. But that's the thing. If we put them both together, though, get you some of that. That's what I'm talking about. Cool thing about Iron Man is Iron Man 2 happened. And in Iron Man 2, he realized he needed a partner. And then as time progressed on the Iron Man timeline, he realized he needed a team. He needed an army. So it's no different for us. Lapidim. Let's bring the redemption. All right. So Universal Torah from Rabbi GQ, who is Rabbi Abraham Greenbaum. He says, and you shall choose life. See, I'm setting before you today, Yaakov or Asaph, which is blessing or curse. Synthesizing everything we just talked about. He doesn't really say that. He just says blessing or curse. But we know that's team Yaakov versus team Asaph. So which one you want? You want the blessing or you want the curse? And it says Moshe asks us to see and understand the most important fact of our ex existential. Like the way we exist. He wants us to see the most important fact about our existence. About the condition that we exist in. That we are free. This is the most important thing about existing is freedom. He goes on to say, each of us is placed within a unique matrix of circumstances that set the overall parameters of our lives. Yet within those parameters, we are constantly faced with opinions and divergent pathways. And our task is to choose between them. Our freedom is a trial because while we see or imagine we see where we want a given pathway to take us in the short term, 
As time-bound humans, we can never know the long-term consequences of our choices at the moment we actually make those choices. I'm going to end there because I won't be able to finish the rest. Okay, I'll do my best. But let me just say this. Ah, why? Man, this is so much. Thank you, Hashem, for a fountain of get you some. But, you know, one of the things that's so dangerous about having a, a like, you don't want to do Torah and you're against observance and, like, I don't want that Jewish stuff is that you set yourself up for a short term relief, but long term you create problems. But when you choose Torah, you set yourself up for short term problems that end up being long term relief and more than just relief. It ends up being like life and life everlasting. Like you you just can't fathom what it's like the more time goes on because you chose to be observant and you remain observant. Because this is the thing. Lots of people choose to become observant and then they run away from it or they fall away from it or they try to get so much all at once and then forget they have the rest of their life to be observant. Because that's the way you got to see it, like grow into your observance. You can't get it all at once. If you know what you're called to do and you enter into Torah observance, let time work it out. I know we're talking about the final redemptionary thing and things are going very fast, but make sure at the end of your day when you say the bedtime Shema that should Hashem return your soul back to your body the following morning, you're ready for another day of observance against all odds. I just, man, I just love that whole like the short term versus the long term because when we choose to follow the word of God and, and today hear his voice, the long term is set. You don't have to be concerned. Is it going to work out? Because I'm trying to be obedient. I'm eating kosher. I'm keeping the Shabbat. I'm learning these Torah portions. I'm listening to the Aliyah Day by Rabbi Griffin. And, you know, whenever I can, I guess, catch what Ahmed is saying, because he's so crazy and he says some things and then he like gets in all these rabbit trails like he's doing right now. And when I listen to all that, you know, like, man. You know, I'm, I wonder, is it a, is it going to be OK in the future? I'm just saying it is, because if you follow the word of God, he will make sure your soul is guarded and that you get to where you need to go. Because Yeshua HaMashiach, the word of God in human likeness, says, I am the way I am the truth and I am the life. So therefore, what you choose to do right now that's going to affect your short term is going to put you on the path, which is going to take you to the throne, which is going to give you life and life everlasting, i.e. eternal life, the Alam Haba and all of that. Now, I hope you listen to other stuff that Lapid puts out, you know, like go back, listen to some of the Droshes, listen to Zake and Yosef, throw down, listen to Zake and Rafer, throw down, listen to Mikael, throw down, listen to any of the Talmudian, throw down, listen to anybody at Sar Shalom with sources, throw down, like, man, we, we have such a beautiful Mishpachah and we can glean from everybody. So anyway, just want to let you know, long term, not short term. Grow into your observance. If you're only doing shakari right now and you're like, man, I should be doing all three prayers a day. Like, what's wrong with me? 
do shakarit right now and when you're when you've mastered shakarit and you never miss it unless you're sick or whatever or some kind of crazy circumstance come up then add in another prayer time and when you get to where that's not an issue add in another prayer time and then when you get to where that's not an issue add in another prayer time okay that's how it works you don't just go all right i need to be doing everything so i'm doing it because you will burn out you will fall away you will leave you've been warned now i'm going to read the rest of this to save myself and hopefully save you Anyway, uh, so Rabbi GQ goes on to say, only God has perfect knowledge of all short and long term consequences of the opinions that face us. While he gives us the freedom to make our own choices, he offers us guidance based upon his knowledge. Now, let me tell you something. If Hashem is going to offer you guidance based off of his knowledge, first of all, can't nobody fathom his knowledge, but he's just like, so I'm thinking, and here's what you should do. And he goes, Torah, like he, he just goes bare sheet through Devarim and then all of the prophets and all of the writings and all the commentary that flows out of that. That's all the thoughts of Hashem. So that all comes out, right? And it's just kind of like, okay, so here's what you should do. Cause I'm kind of thinking this is what you need to do for, a, for a human being to be like, you know what? Thank you for thinking of me. And for thinking for me, but I'm going to do this. It's just kind of like, I, I, I don't really think you know what you're passing up right now. But anyway, I just, that's a huge picture. Hashem is the only one who has perfect knowledge of the short and the long-term consequences of the, of the, of the options that face us. He has perfect knowledge of the short and long-term consequences of the options that face us. So I'm just saying, if he gives us his mind, we probably should do that. So while he gives us freedom to make our own choices, he offers us guidance upon his knowledge. <clears throat> because of my perfect knowledge, here's what I offer to you. This will be for your best outcome. Man, you have a freedom to choose that or not. And if you choose it, you're Yaakov. If you don't, you're Asaph. Anyway, continuing on, it says, He offers us guidance based upon knowledge. Thus, the Zohar calls the commandments of the Torah advice. Each commandment is advice about which turn to take at each juncture in the road of life. Nothing compels us to follow the commandments. Nothing compels us to follow the commandments. Wait a minute. Nothing compels us to follow the commandments. If there were any compulsion, we would not be free. If there were any compulsion, we would not be free. If there were any compulsion, we would not be free. What? Nothing compels us to follow the commandments. If there were any compulsion, we would not be free. So when someone goes, man, I hope you don't do that Torah stuff trying to earn your salvation. It's like nothing compels me to follow the commandments. I have a free choice in this. That right there, I'm done. I'm just going to read this because I'm supposed to. Because I don't want to like just be all for myself in this podcast, even though it's really tempting. But anyway, 
it says, God wants us to have the merit of choosing our destiny for ourselves. He wants us to see and understand for ourselves and to make wise choices. Re'e anoki, I am setting before you, Yaakov or Esav, and you shall choose Yaakov. Devarim 30, verse 19. This is from Sha'ar HaPesukim, Lekutei Torah, and Sefer HaLekutim by Rabbi Moshe Wisniewski. Uh, by the way, on that, the end of the uh, Rabbi GQ drop, I substituted blessing with Yaakov and curse with Asaph because that's what ultimately it boils down to. So just another way to be able to interpret passages and get down to the point. So anyway, so Sha'ar HaPesukim Lekutei Torah, Sefer HaLekutim, by Rabbi Moshe Wisniewski. Here we go. In the beginning of Parsha Re'eh, the Jewish people were commanded to place the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Eval when they cross the Jordan River and enter into the land of Israel. The discussion of how to do this does not take place in that passage, but is rather postponed until the portion of the Torah read this week. Uh, and it says in it, the Jewish people are told when you cross the Jordan, the following tribes will stand on Mount Gerizim to face the Levites when they bless the people. So Mount Gerizim, here's the team, Simon or Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Yosef, Benjamin. Okay, that's Team Gerizim. Team Eval. You got Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali. Which is interesting because this is starting to look like, you know, Team Raquel versus Team Leah. But, you know, Shimeon and Levi and Judah uh, and Issachar, they're, they're from <laughs> Leah. So anyway, it's all that. Uh, it says there are or there follow a list of 11 curses uh, the Levites are to pronounce. The blessings are not mentioned explicitly, but according to the sages, they were simply the inverse of the curses. So there's a list of 11 curses and the blessings are not mentioned. So it's like where are the blessings at. And it's like, well, if you get the inverse of the curses, then you get the blessings says, I've already taught you about the 11 ingredients of the incense, the 11 goat wool coverings of the tabernacle, and the 11 curses of Parsha Kitabo. So Re'e starts what's going to get opened up in Kitabo and what's going to get played out in the writing of Joshua. So the book of Joshua. So we got some things that's going to like flow out here. So let me do some Rabbi Pincus. Rabbi Pincus Winston. He says, 11 is the source of 70, which is the source of redemption. Hence, says the Vilna Gaon, this is why we recite Tehillim 20. Just prior to the Uvalezion, a redeemer will come to Zion on the weekday mornings. Because Tehillim 20 has 70 words. If we need redemption, then we need 70. And if we need 70, then we need 11. 
And that is why the final redemption begins with Yaakov's 11th son, Yosef Hazadik. So there are so many much more notes here, but uh, let me just end with this little drop from the smock or smack. The sma uh, quote K. This is brought down by G. Shekel with his ridiculous self. The smock, by the way, or smack, is written by Yitzhak ben Yosef of Korbel. It's an abridged version of the smog, which is the sma G, uh, written by Moshe ben Yaakov of Kusi. And this is all found in Sefer HaHinuk, Volume 1, in the Art Scroll Introduction. So hashtag bringing redemption starts go. The smock also connects the question about hoping for the fine or hoping for the redemption to the first commandment. He defines the mitzvah of Anoki as follows to believe that the creator of heaven and earth is alone, the ruler of the universe and everything happens through his will, not through automatic processes such as the mazalot, which is the constellations. And it says, Adonai is one. He is the one who brought us out of Egypt. He is the one who performed all the wonders, the plagues and the splitting of the sea, which is funny because I thought Moshe performed the plagues, thought Aharon performed the other plagues. It's like, no, Hashem did that. But it was Moshe and Aharon. It's like, yeah, but it was Hashem. So what is that saying? Get you some, right? Deductive reasoning. Hashem is one, but yet Moshe and Aharon are doing it. Well, they're following Hashem. So therefore it is as if Hashem is doing it. Well, it is Hashem doing it because they're following him. Anyway, don't really have time to get into the the crux of that. But just know that, believe that uh, Hashem is the one who did all the plagues even though Moshe was the face of the likeness of man who did that. Now we can get a better picture of Yeshua. Anyway, uh, no one knocks his finger unless it is ordained from above. The steps of a man are prepared by Hashem, Tehillim 37, 23. And this is the meaning of Chazal's statement, Shabbat uh, 31a, that when a person dies and comes before the heavenly court, he is asked, did you hope for the redemption? Did you hope for the Geula? Where is this mitzvah written that a person should be held responsible for it? The answer is that it is all part of the mitzvah of Anoki Hashem. I am Hashem. For just as we must believe that he took us out of Mitzrayim, we must believe that he will bring the final redemption. If this is to be counted as one of the Ten Commandments, it must have a practical meaning. So it must be saying, just as I want you to believe in me, that I took you out of Mitzrayim, so I want you to believe that I am Hashem, your God, and I will eventually gather you in and save you. And so the Torah promises in Devarim 30, verse 3, and he will return and gather you in from all the nations. Sefer Mitzvot Katan Mitzvah 1.
all brought down in G shekel on this week's parsha. Barukabah b'shem Adonai. Barukatah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natan lanu Torah temet Vekaye olam natabetokeinu Barukatah Adonai Noten ha Torah Amen